I walked across an empty land. I knew the pathway like the back of my hand. Welcome home, honey. Where you belong. Is this the place we used to love? Is this the place that I've been dreaming of? I know you struggled with what happened. With what I did. Yes, with what you did. But help is here. Good morning. I know I'm not who you expected to see. Just know I'm only here to help, and I look forward to meeting you all. So tell me when you're gonna let me in. I'm a pretty rational guy. Something's happening here. You're gonna let me in. We are living in a miraculous time. You're gonna let me in. It's a little crazy between friends, right? Come on. What are you doing? Come on. What is wrong with you? Stop it. It's not funny. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Derek Wong. Also tonight, we have a very, very special guest on the show, or should I say our first guest ever. I guess you didn't know that, Prince. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you are our very first guest ever. 97 episodes. I think this is our 97th episode, and we've never Jeez, had a are guest. are we on 97 episodes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Wow, this is an honor. <laughs> Maybe we should have um, pushed this for three more. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But our guest tonight is the venerable Prince Jackson, host of Nightlight, a horror movie podcast, which is, I believe, a part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Awesome. I knew your podcast. I think a lot of people probably know your podcast from the Poughkeepsie Tapes episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of our most iconic, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's one of your most iconic episodes. One of my favorite horror movies for weird reasons. I think just because of how controversial it is, I, I, I do like that movie a lot. I like talking about it. But tonight we are talking about Mike Flanagan's newest and latest show on Netflix, Midnight Mass. Yeah, so really excited to dive deep into this show with you guys. I think we'll maybe go around the room, talk a little bit about our initial reactions to the show. Uh, the show just premiered last Friday. We've all seen all seven episodes, right? So we're, we're good to go on that front. Yep, fully current. Yeah. 
and maybe talk a little bit about Mike Flanagan himself, because I think that's an important discussion to dive into his filmography and, and all his works, too, on, on Netflix and all of his movies. So, yeah, what's everyone's experience with Mike Flanagan? Uh, Prince, you want to go first? Sure, yeah. Uh a lot of people probably know this about me if you follow me on Twitter, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but Mike Flanagan's one of my favorite directors of all time. Actually, he is my favorite director of all time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I I absolutely love his work. I think he is probably the only director that I can personally think of who has kind of gotten better in each thing that he's released. And I don't know what it is about him and his work in general, but he just understands the subject. Like he, he knows what he wants and he knows what he wants to do. But the first time I've heard of Mike Flanagan was back in college around 2011, 2012. A buddy of mine signed up for this Kickstarter for um, a movie called Absentia. And I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I have no idea what it is. The plot seemed kind of whatever. And when it finally, he finally got it, we checked it out and it looked so amateur. And just so, I guess, a little bland. And yet I loved it. I loved it's every good, right? moment Absentia's of it. It's great. so good. It's so good. From then on, I just knew, like, I, I have to have this guy on my radar. Like, I, he needs to be on my radar. I need to know more about him and his work. And I finally feel like he definitely has this this notion to his name of people when they see Flanagan pop up, although I still think that he doesn't get the same respect for his films as he does his TV shows. But hopefully now that, because I think the last thing he's made that's a movie was Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. And and now he has the whole backing of like the greater The Haunting of Hill House series and blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. So like now I feel like he does have that staple. But I have a very deep history i guess when it comes to his films and his uh his filmography in general and i honestly i don't love everything he's done but it's kind of like that teeter-totter where you see how his work has just gradually gotten better and better and better he takes little techniques that he's learned in a previous uh film and he uses that in maybe a much larger film or a much larger sense like that turning motion in Hush when Maddie falls to the ground. He uses sure. that again yeah, yeah, yeah. in Doctor Sleep. It, it, it's it's he's he's fucking awesome. Oh, sorry, I don't yeah. know if I could cuss on here. No, but, you can. Yeah, you can. Uh, you okay, can. cool. <laughs> so, <is> like, <laughs> so yeah, he's he's fucking great. I I love Mike Flanagan, and uh, Midnight Mass is no different. <laughs> so you said you don't particularly like everything that he does. Uh, what's your like favorite? What's your least favorite? What do you think? That's a good question. Um, my favorite. Uh, are we saying movies and TV show? Yeah, movies and TV. We'll, okay. We'll lump them together. Um, my favorite for movies and TV, I would say, uh, top three would be Doctor Sleep. I'm absolutely a super big Doctor Sleep fan. I think Doctor Sleep is extremely amazing, especially the director's cut. And then it would probably go to uh, Midnight Mass, then The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, those projects right there just spoke so many volumes for me um and my lease would probably be uh before i wake and although i I like oculus but probably oculus it's it's okay those are the two that i feel like i watch the least or that i have the the feeling to watch like if, if i 
if someone gives me a list of films and it's like, yo, we're going to watch this, I'm like, yeah, I don't really feel like watching Before <laughs> I Wake and I don't feel like watching <laughs> Oculus, but I don't mind watching Hush or I don't yeah. mind watching uh, Ouija, The Book of Evil or The Origin of Evil. But yeah, those will probably be my least favorite. Yeah, I'm not crazy about Before I Wake either, but still not bad, right? It's- no, it's it's not bad at all. It's a yeah. great concept. <laughs> mm-hmm. It, it cool just concept. is not for me personally. I just think it's <laughs> kind of whatever for me personally. Uh, it's funny because those are both his PG-13 films. and <laughs> Oh, that's true. That's yeah, true. It, it, I, don't, I don't know if I feel like it, it's just PG-13 might be a little bit of a harder grasp for him, for me personally, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. When you give him a, a hard R, like he goes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's sure. just, oh my God. What about you, Derek? All right. Not everything we do in this podcast is horror, but we do do a lot of horror, right? We we watch a lot of. Because of horror, me, horror, usually. Because I'm of, I was horror. Gonna, <laughs> I was going to say, because of Jeff, because Jeff loves horror. It's probably not a surprise, or it might be a surprise to some people to hear that horror is not my favorite genre. Uh, I'm not saying it's bad. Like, I do watch horror. Like, I'm never abstained to, like, anything that Jeff has recommended to us. And honestly, I'm very grateful for a lot of the things that he's he's kind of recommended us watch for this podcast. Because like <laughs> things like Hereditary and like Midsummer probably would have never watched it except for, you know, probably when we did this podcast. And I'm like... Possessor. Possessor, like all great uh-huh. movies. So my answer to your question of my relationship with Mike Flanagan is very simple. This is the very first Mike Flanagan thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, so so I am. This is a good so balance you, here. Yeah, so we got Prince, who absolutely loves Mike uh, Flanagan, right? I'm One damn of his near a super fan for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's me, who's very much the uningratiated, the <laughs> not part of the church of Mike Flanagan. If we were going to use a, a play <laughs> oh, on words for there for we go, Midnight Mass. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's really simple. So my favorite, and I guess. By default, my least favorite is Midnight Mass. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question. If yeah. Since this is your first, does this make you kind of want to go a little bit back in the catalog to see like how he got here? Like what? Absolutely. I think, oh, that's awesome. I, I think this has made me at least interested to go back to some of those other Netflix things he's done with the, the Haunting series. I know he right. has the Hill House and then Blind Manor. I, I think I would be interested to maybe go back and check those out. That's awesome. I, I guess I shouldn't beat around it. I mean, I actually really love this this show. This this was <laughs> amazing. So amazing. I, I'm definitely uh, excited to go back and go watch some of his other things. That's awesome. It, it's great because he's kind of alluded to this since 2016, with mm-hmm. Hush being, uh, I guess, the story was made by Maddie Young, which was his character in Hush, and she was writing this story in her being initially terrorized throughout this time. And he alluded to it again in Gerald's game in mm-hmm. 2017. Yeah, a bunch of Easter eggs, right? right. Yeah, so many great Easter eggs to it. And when I saw Hush for the first time in 2016, I saw how it was kind of writing out. And the whole concept was like, I have over 80 different endings or something to this story. And the story was called Midnight Mass. And I speculated like crazy. I was like, he is for sure going to make this. That's going to be a thing. I know it. It's either going to be a book or it's going to be a movie. I know it is. And I was technically wrong. It was a show. But (laughs) (laughs) with all of that, seeing how early on he planted that seed and how badly he wanted this to be created, you could tell how personal this story is, Mm -hmm, which is, oh, my God. And how much thought he put into it, right? Yes. Yes. 
Alright, so like I'm gonna go into what my thing with Mike Flanagan is. I love Mike Flanagan. I think everything he does is great. Um good to great, I I would say. But I do think that Midnight Mass is probably his best, most complete work, just because of how personal it is and how that story carries from beginning to end. And I think I do have some issues with how he ends things, particularly in like uh, the Haunting of Hill House, which I think, I don't think it botches the ending, but I think the, the ending is Super very open. uncharacteristic of, like, the first right. uh, nine, eight or nine episodes, right? But this is... It's very happy. Probably. <laughs> yeah, very, very happy, which <laughs> very I was not Very happy expecting. to how bleak the rest of that show is. <laughs> yeah, maybe I have to rewatch that just to, like, take that in again, but, but Midnight Mass seems very, very complete i think i I, Mm -hmm. i'm just blown away by this series and i I think it's the best thing he's done i do like dr sleep a lot when it first came out i was lukewarm on it sure but that director's cut is like (laughs) night and day difference it's so (laughs) much more like it's what it should have been And I can understand why he was afraid to release a cut so large for a theatrical, but it's what it should have been. What's the runtime difference on that? Do you know? 30 minutes. 30 minutes, right? 30 extra minutes, yeah. Doctor Sleep and The Shining actually line up almost exactly with their runtime of two hours and 23 minutes. And that extra little 35 extra minutes of the director's cut, oh my God, Like it's so much added into their... You wouldn't even think that just being like thirty minutes. Like we've we've yeah. seen this before. We've seen directors add thirty extra minutes of content, and it still feels like the same movie. This feels like a completely different movie, and it, it's it's crazy. Just flows so much better. I think. I agree. I, I agree. I think I I think the theatrical. I, yeah, it, it like there's like this push and pull between The Shining and Doctor Sleep that yeah. doesn't exactly work, but then it flows just so much better in the director's cut. I agree. I've seen the theatrical maybe six times, and I've all right. This is this is gonna make me sound like a, a madman. Um, I've seen Doctor Sleep, the director's cut, thirty six times. Wow! Uh, oh my I, God. I, I okay. keep tallies now, but yes, thirty six times. I lit- I literally just watched it maybe a few days ago for my podcast, which this is gonna be the first time we're covering. Obviously, all the all the movies we cover are the first time we've covered them. But this movie particularly is something that's just been super requested. Like, everybody wants me to talk about this wow. movie. So Ooh. you're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> now you're getting it. <laughs> I mean, should we dive into Midnight Mass? I guess spoiler free Okay, yeah. for now. So no twists. No twists. But we'll okay. get to them. Okay. We'll get to them. Okay. There are good, right. they're good juicy twists in this. So Yes, there are. And basically the story of Midnight Mass is about this island called Crockett Island, and it's about this new enigmatic, mysterious priest who comes to town, and he starts performing miracles, and then it's Mike Flanagan's, like, exploration of religion. So, like, he used to be an altar boy, right? Yep. So, this is a very, very personal story for him, and... I just think this cast is incredible. I don't think this is the scariest thing he's done. It's not particularly scary, I would say, but no, I agree. It's existential dread and like all these questions of faith that he poses 
Yes. Like his entire cast is just differing perspectives of faith and differing levels of faith on all these characters that I just find completely fascinating. I absolutely love this. I think it's the best thing he's done. I mean, I've said that before, but I, I just really, really loved it. I'm with what, you. What about you guys? I'm definitely You're with, with you. <laughs> like I said, my favorite movie is Dr. Sleep, or my favorite thing that he's done is Dr. Sleep, but that's right. because it's a personal thing for me. Uh-huh. But I do think Midnight Mass is hands down one of his best creations he's ever created. And it's that exploration with religion and the exploration of questioning faith and blind faith and faith fandom that all just kind of parallel perfectly together. And you get characters that feel real. And I think that's what this is. This feels real. And Mm -hmm. it's weird to say (laughs) when the twist happens, but it feels so real. And these characters feel so likable and yet so heartbroken and distraught. And mainly speaking on Zach Guilford's character, Riley Flynn, uh, when he comes back to Crockett Island after his yeah. uh, serving in prison. And that even feels so personal. And it feels like something we shouldn't see. Like we shouldn't see someone going through this. And right, right. yet we're experiencing it and, it and it feels personal. And it wasn't until I, because I, I, I got a press copy of this and I'm sure you did as well, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. But when I got a press copy of this, I was reading through the press notes and reading about Mike Flanagan dealing with his own sobriety and his alcoholism for that many stretches of years and him being sober now four years, I believe it said, that even made it a little bit more, I don't want to say icky, but that made it feel more grounded, I guess, to where it's just like, holy shit, people go through this. Like This is something that someone put all of their trauma out for the whole world to see and how they experienced it and how they're trying to deal with it. And we saw a little bit of that in Doctor Sleep, but like since this is his story and his creation with his brother James, I think it's James. James? That sounds right. James James Flanagan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but seeing like this like with his brother James and how this kind of enveloped into what this turned into is just fucking genius. Like it's just it's so bonkers to think that we got these types of characterizations from these group of characters that brought so much life to all of this and i don't know about y'all but i definitely like cried like maybe three or four times and the odd person to me was just like i want to do that again like i want to see all of this again (laughs) (laughs) i need to experience it over and over and over again and I ended up doing that. I watched it, I think, three times so far. Wow. I can see that. I can definitely see that. It's fucking good. I didn't cry because I'm a cold-hearted son of a bitch. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but there are definitely tugs there that I, I, I felt for sure. Got the little really, knot really in the emotional. throat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for I feel sure. that. <laughs> what, what about you, Derek? What did you think of the, the series? So I, I already mentioned earlier that not the biggest fan of the horror genre in this in a sense. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like one strike coming into this that I was a little <laughs> worried about. The second being that it is so heavily like religious, you know, a lot right. of the themes, a lot Same of the dialogue. For me. Same for yes. me. I mean, admittedly I'm not a very religious person in my own personal life and 
I typically tend to stay away from these kind of things just because I think the dialogue sometimes isn't progressive and or it really partially shines a light on one side over the other. Mm-hmm. But what I really respected about uh, Midnight Mass was that it gave the space, and I think it's partially because of the personal history of, of Mike Flanagan and how personal this story is to him, that he gives the space to respect both sides. Yes, I agree 100%, yeah. I absolutely love, you know, there's moments where you have uh, someone who is very much of the faith sitting down with an atheist, right? Who they, And they have right. like a 10, 20 minute discussion about what it means to like die, right? Or what happens to, to them when they die. And like, that is just like profound in a way that I don't think I've seen in other TV shows or other movies. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get those kind of character moments and discussions of faith that mm-hmm. I just feel are so genuine and so... Um, you know, Prince used the word grounded, right? Yeah. I mean, there's scenes where it's like someone of Muslim faith with someone of Catholic faith, you know, it's like, we get those scenes. And it's just, it elevates this series to something that I was not expecting. And I just respect it so much more because of it. Yeah. Let me let me add something to that because I think in our like current political climate, and just how things are, it's so easy to be like, Oh, you know, like conservative Christian faith, you like wag that finger. It's like, oh, that's bad. You know, like it's all racists and white supremacists and stuff. And I think that's where a lot of these shows tend to veer. But this is so even handed where like examines both the great things about Christian faith and the horrible things, right? Like all the stuff with Bev Keen, like, oh, what a fucking love to oh hate my God. character right um mm-hmm. uh samantha slorian is just so good in that role right seriously but also like hamish linklater he's so so great he's not particularly evil he's misguided right and i think like listening to some of his sermons you can see how powerful him standing at the pulpit can be and like and inspire people in, like, their darkest times with, like, his speeches. I'm like, I was like, hell, I'm gonna fucking convert to Catholicism <laughs> watching this. Um, but, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Jack. Go ahead. I no, no, no. The last thing I was going to say was that I really love this show for also, I feel it's so kind of poignant to where we are politically and, like, socially also. This idea that when we're watching the screen, we're just like, how is this getting out of hand? How is this getting to the point where it's heading? But then you realize it's the idea of like faith and belief, right? Like it is such a, a guiding factor in like some people's lives and a lot of people's lives that it's hard to deny that power, right? And I'm not just even yeah. talking about like religion, right? It's, it's just like what people believe. It's just so ingrained now, right? It's so ingrained in people and you can't, you just can't shake them. And like, I just found that really powerful watching that in the show too also. And I'm like a very reason, logic, science-based kind of person. Like I grew up, for the longest time I said I was an atheist, but I'm really like agnostic, right? Like I believe in something. Right. But I'm I'm very logic-based. So, but like watching this, I can totally see how like, you know, faith can be empowering. Blinding. Faith can be <laughs> manipulative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this show is very, very talky. There's a lot of monologues in this yes. show. yes. That made it hard for my wife. I was just going to say the same thing. Um, 
I ate that shit up. My wife was like, all right, enough of this shit. Right. Like, I'm with you. Like, my wife, like, she'll, like, go on TikTok and, like, I'll hear, like, turn the volume down, like, pretty low so she can kind of do both. And I'm just like, I'm, like, completely enthralled. I'm into it. I'm taking notes. I'm just like, oh, shit. Like, this is insane. And when it's it's funny because we both technically grew up Catholic. And she and I think that's one of the reasons why she wasn't she liked it. She actually enjoyed it quite a bit, but she wasn't a fan of a lot of the religious portions, which Uh is the whole show. But she wasn't too much of a fan of that because of the reminders that she got of her religion, because she was a lot deeper in her faith than I was. Uh, Because I went to Catholic school, but like her parents were super heavily religious. And for us, that allowed us to have, I guess, even more of a connection with the show because we Mm -hmm. we've seen people like that. We've been around people like that and we know people like that. And uh, we know people who are completely blind to their faith. If you come up with something completely logical, they think it's illogical because it doesn't match with their faith. So Mm -hmm. it's things like that that we've we've experienced and for me i thought it was super genius to play on with a lot of this and and once we get into spoiler territory like i i I do want to speak more on like riley because of his whole concept with addiction and how he felt that gnawing sensation of constantly feed um so i i I definitely want to once we're in spoiler territory like i I definitely want to chat more about like riley and his his i have a theory initially of his dealings (laughs) with addiction yeah like my wife the big uh afterlife monologue between aaron and riley oh my god ate that up my wife checked out she was like all right this is <laughs> this is going on too long i'm i'm uh, oh man let me know when it's over. I, yeah that's the scene i love i love that i scene. love that scene so much i love that i'm glad I think, we're all on board with that so. oh my god yeah i replayed it like immediately afterwards and that's when my wife went on tiktok i was like i gotta replay this like that that was absolutely <laughs> genius like this, i gotta replay this like their their ideology about death and how they visualize it is fucking immaculate it kind of reminded me of the night house i don't know if you guys have checked that out yet yeah 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 but oh my god it reminded me of that and the same kind of ideology that riley has is very similar to how that character in the night house kind of pictures death and annihilation and isolation so it's just oh my god i i ate that shit up (laughs) (laughs) also what's with wives and tiktok I, you know, <laughs> Derek, is your, I, is your fiance into TikTok? Does, does she watch no, TikTok? No, she doesn't. Oh, not yet. I'll let her know, but when she does become my wife, she has to get onto TikTok. <laughs> she ha- yeah, exactly. It, it, it just it it takes over their life. I will admit, I do like a good TikTok, but mine is all like around horror and like true crime and stuff like that. So my TikToks are very different from hers. So she sends me all these funny TikToks, and I send her like death and murder and i'm just like okay (laughs) (laughs) well what about you jeff you want to give your initial impressions before we get into spoilers yeah i mean i just really really like the show i think like some of the twists are devastating we'll get into that all the performances are fantastic uh we haven't mentioned uh raul coley yet as uh oh my god um incredible everyone's great annabeth gish is sarah gunning the one thing that I will say is that 
there's some wonky ass old age makeup here. Yes, but like, yes, you <laughs> can't really you can't get tell. around it. Right. Uh, you can't get around it. But that is the one thing that kind of gave away what kind of horror it was going to be. Right. Are we done with our initial impressions? Should we get into spoilers? Yeah, let's I think get we can... into spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. You're down? All right. Okay. So if you have not watched Midnight Mass, there's seven episodes. So I feel like a lot of people get like on to power it. through these things. But yeah, get on it. Do not listen to this episode. Starting from now, if you have not watched it, we will <laughs> be going straight into spoilers here. All right. When did you guys realize that this was vampire horror? <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, I didn't realize immediately just because of my history with Flanagan, it was a nice surprise. Um, yeah, because he's never done anything with vampires. Yeah, horror, right? never yeah. done anything with vampires. He's alluded to vampires with Doctor Sleep. Uh huh. But with this here, I, I just didn't picture vampirism. I pictured something a little bit uh, more supernatural than more folklore, I guess. But. When I saw the the aging on Alex Sasso as Mildred Cunning, <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I saw Alex, I was uh, like, I was first looking at it. I was like, is that Alex Sasso? And <laughs> I tried looking it up, and it, obviously, this is when we had the press copies, so it, not much information is about it. So Alex Sasso wasn't on the cast list. Yeah, they kept she wasn't. that completely hidden, and I was just like, I, like that looks like her to me, but I can't really tell. But like. This aging effect, like, you could definitely tell that's a young person in, in old makeup. Yeah, there's something going on there, right? Because there's no right. casting for Father Pruitt either. So, like, right. you're like, huh, what's going on there? Exactly. So, I was super curious by that. And I was just like, okay, uh, I don't know, like, what, what's kind of going on here. I do know that Flanagan does believe not in using, like, de-aging techniques such as, like, computer de-aging, which is uh -huh. why he kind of recasted everyone inside yeah. of uh doctor sleep but with this portion here i did find that something was definitely afoot and i knew it had to be more than just a religious aspect of just like i don't know like a lifetime <laughs> movie of like left behind or something like that <laughs> of, of these people just having these miracles happen but it wasn't until I saw him squeeze his hand on the cross and I saw him like die and come back. That's when I was just oh, like, okay. this has to be some type of zombie-like or vampiristic type of um, trait. But I'm not seeing fangs or anything like that. So mm -hmm. I don't know what, what it is here about this, but this feels a little vampiric. And it just <laughs> I didn't put two and two together that it's literally vampires. <laughs> yeah. Because I think he's smart in the sense that I don't usually associate de-aging with vampires. You know, I associate maybe like, you know, looking the age you are. Like the second you become right. a vampire, that's you kind of you stop aging. But yeah, the idea of de aging, I've never really associated with vampires. So I think, like, I wasn't kinda really threw keen you on off it. A little. Yeah, it kind of mm. threw me off, and I wasn't keen until like you know we get the reveal that it is a, a vampire, right? That, yeah. Oh, I stood out of my chair. Like I, yeah. I jumped off the couch, and I was like, "Holy shit, he did it!" And that's all I said. <laughs> I was like, "Holy!" And my wife is just like. What are you talking about? He did what? And I was like, I was like vampires. Like this, this, this does not happen for him. Like he, it's like literally ghost and maybe a paranormal creature that you've never heard of before that he made up. Like 
never vampires. Like that's just that's very new for him. So I was I was in. I was on in. Uh, Salem's Lot with this dude. This this uh, master vampire, right? So. Like Salem's Lot. In folks who have wanted spoilers from me and asked me like, <laughs> what do you consider it as? I was like, honestly, Salem's Lot meets Thirty Days of Night. Like, yeah, that that is this show in a nutshell with a lot of religious aspects to it. But that's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah, because oh my god, this goes full Thirty Days of Night in that last episode. Yeah, <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> but like, I don't know why. But glowing eyes in horror films or horror shows or horror in general, that is my shit. If you got <laughs> glowing shit. eyes, like you got three stars for me just from glowing eyes alone. So <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, when we saw the glowing eyes with the cats when they were on that separate island across from Crockett Island on the first episode, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, got some glowing eyes action. I feel that. But that's cats. Cats do that shit. That's normal. <laughs> and then we see the one that stands up, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. in. <laughs> and you got me. This is going to be phenomenal. And like you said, this is very much a, a conversational-driven show Yeah, that it works very well in the favor of horror because you're you're so stuck in the drama or you're out of it to where, like our, like our wives, Jeff, <laughs> or yeah. you're out of it. To the point where when the horror happens, it's just like, wait, what did did that just happen? Like, it, and it's going to be that same effect for both parties, whether you're into it or you're not. So it's, it's, yeah. oh, man. And, and the show, Christ. like, it does the work to establish these characters. It, like, makes you care yes. for every single person on Crockett Island. Maybe not. Oh, my God. Maybe not Bev Keen because she's a piece of shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> but everyone else is at least, like, sympathetic it, in some way, did- right? I will admit that it did make me invested in Bev, though. Yes, I was absolutely. I yeah. was really. I was like, "What is her fucking deal?" Like, I, I just fascinating like, character. <laughs> like, it was so such fascinating. a fascinating character. Oh my god, I didn't understand her. She's like the the queen bee of like uh, Crockett Island, and and yes. she like she can use like scripture and like quote verses just to twist like your oh faith god. into whatever yes. she wants, right? And it's just so effective and like. You just hate her for it. And, yes, yes, you do. And, like, <laughs> there's so many characters that just play off of her, like, fantastically. Roll Coley's Sheriff Hassan, like, in the classroom when, when he's talking about, like, the Muslim faith. I thought that was incredible. Oh, yeah, when he when he twists it to turn it to, it's just, like, actually in the Quran, it says X, Y, Z. Like, that was fucking awesome. Yeah, it's like, oh, we encourage uh, explorations into other religions, right? Like, we right. believe in Jesus, too, and we love Jesus. And, like, right. I feel like that's something that you don't see very often in the portrayal of, like, a Muslim faith. So, like, our third uh, co-host, Amir, he's a doctor, so he's on night shift, so he's out. But, like, he's, oh, he's sure. Muslim, so I want to I hear, like, exactly what oh, his thoughts are, too. I would love to hear be, his thoughts on that. That would be great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so... Because I know Rahu Kuli did say that this was a role that he's very passionate about because it's the first role he's had to where he gets to express Muslim faith. And and the relationship with his son. Oh, my God, Rahul yeah. Rahul Aburi so great. Like, he's encouraging him to explore this burgeoning curiosity with Christianity and Catholicism. Probably a mistake. But, well, you, but you understand that character's motives, right? Like, the Ali right, character who... Right. Who's seeing these miracles happening? Right. Like, who can blame him for 
wanting to switch faiths, right? Who, yeah, yeah, like you yeah, see yeah, those it, things happening in front of you, like, like mm-hmm. yeah, especially I, with I, a tragedy such as Ali's, where he lost his mom. Right. So, like, with something so traumatic like that in his life, and he's seeing people be restored. Like for him, he's just like uh, maybe we do have the wrong faith here because like their god seems to be restoring people and allowing people to walk again <laughs> after getting shot. Like like that's insane. Yeah. So it's it's super interesting. If we don't mind switching gears a little bit to no, not at all. the the AA stuff where uh, we have uh, Father Paul or on Senior Pruitt whatever we want to call him at this point. Um, but how we see him with Riley, and I think Joe joins for like one session, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but Poor Joe. <laughs> poor Joe. Like, damn. <laughs> damn. But with Joe and um, Riley and uh, Father Paul, like it was so interesting to see that dynamic and how Paul spoke to Riley in a way mm-hmm. where it's just like, I want you to see what I see, pretty much. Right. And it's really cool, especially when he meets the angel or the vampire mm-hmm. <laughs> and how the shit goes down. You're just like, okay, great. So Riley's dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he's not. So it's interesting. And my theory that this actually goes into the theory that I'm, that I was thinking of is when it comes to Riley, and how he dealt with addiction he dealt with this in a very in a very i guess harsh way where he had to think on his addiction for 4 years locked in a cell and he had mm-hmm. to think about his consequences and then beyond that when he goes to sleep he thinks about it every single night of killing that girl yeah and when he thinks of this he gets transferred into a vampire turned if you will he asks paul specifically like when that thing was feeding on me did you feed on me too Mm -hmm. and he tells him yes for me i depict that as like so it's just another addiction Mm. which is why i feel like that was another catalyst for him to tip over and say like i'm not going to do this although i always thought he was probably going to commit suicide he just Mm -hmm. he didn't seem like he was in a good place but I think that was the tipping point where it's just like, now I have no choice. Now I'm going to right. be forced to be an addict again. Mm-hmm. And that force is going to now make me kill people. I think for that point on, I think that's when he realizes just like, I'm not, I'm not going to become that again. I was already that before and I got away from that. And I'm still, I was still trying to get away from that. And he felt like that was his main result that he can get to. But that's my See, that's I, my theory. I never even drew that line, but now I think that's like the definitive. Yeah, that's a really great take. I um, I don't even know if that's a theory anymore. Like that, that's a hundred. <laughs> I feel like that's a hundred percent what that is, right? Right. It's just trading in one addiction for another, right? Like yeah. one right. that you spent so long like trying to kick, and now you've just replaced that with like a thirst for for blood and like human flesh exactly. or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And right. And I, I think that's that's very powerful. I really respect that interpretation, and I think that is a great interpretation. For me, I read it more as, like, this is a person who who lost faith in God. Right. And was not going to come back to it. 
So, like, other people are so mesmerized by these quote-unquote miracles, but, like, for him, it's just, it's not happening anymore. Yeah, like, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. Even though he's been back, back to life, like, he just cannot accept his faith anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. But, like, I like that interpretation of the addiction, and that's probably why he does kill himself. Like, I think that is perfectly a great read of that. But I, I do appreciate the Riley character being that person that was of faith and then is so adamantly not of faith anymore right like mm-hmm. th- he's so crucial to the conversation i think for this for this piece i agree yeah. and episode five holy shit yeah <laughs> holy it's mike shit. flanagan and his episode fives he's always uh, yeah, fucking he, up he, our he, shit with his episode five seriously right? it, it it's always episode five when that happened at the end of episode five the way that it was so peaceful for him Mm -hmm. i was even thinking i was like i really wonder how this is for aaron right now like like, he's dying and we know how vampires die that's (laughs) traumatizing so like i wonder how this is going for aaron and then we flip to aaron her screaming bloody murder as he's ablaze in a boat with her like I'm, I'm like, surprised that boat survived. <laughs> I am too. I am she too. She have to swim back to shore. Oh yeah, my god! But the way her screams like carried through the credits too. Oh, oh incredible! Oh. There's a petition going on right now to where people want that sequence to continue, and they want uh, Netflix to deactivate the play next sequence. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I signed it. I was like, yes. Like, I yeah, don't know if that's even for sure. For sure, algorithmly possible. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if their algorithm's going to work that way, but if it's possible and they can figure that out, like, yeah. Like, or deactivate it for the whole the whole show, because, like, yeah. it, it just carries, it, and it carries weight. It's so great. Yeah. I think the, the show is number two right now in the U.S. on oh, Netflix. Nice. And I think number one, uh, which is surprisingly unsurprising, is uh, Squid Game. I don't know yeah. if y'all check that out yet. I, I did check that out already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a jam. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was good, too. I like that, too. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a really good one. <laughs> good week of TV going on right that, now. Yeah, that we do. <laughs> did you notice uh, Carla Gugino as the judge? As she the was judge, the voice yeah. of the judge. In the, in the I first thought that episode. was awesome. I was like, huh. Well, at least she, she was there very, somewhere. Very distinctive voice. I, you can't mistake that she does. for anything else. That yeah. she does. Oh, I love his reoccurring of characters. But Derek, that's something that once you kind of go back, um, you'll notice that like he Flanagan really likes to reuse the same characters and all these people are his friends. Actually, Aaron Green is his wife in real life, Kate Siegel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he reuses these characters all the time to where they just have such a perfect chemistry with each other. It's kind of like Tarantino reusing some of his characters like Uma Thurman like it's stuff like that like they have this pleasant relationship with each other that they just know how to work off of each other's chemistry so well so I'm very excited for you to go back and for you to even see these people act in different ways Mm -hmm. because Kate Siegel's very different in The Haunting of Hill House she's extremely different in Hush like it's really really great to just see them kind of just be where they are now you're gonna be a walking leo pointing at the tv meme that's, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what it is hands down hands down you're like i know you i know you i'd love to get into this this final episode though um, oh let's do it season, yeah. because i think there's just so much that happens and 
I mean, it, it starts with the the episode before, right, where we get the actual like midnight mass episode. Yep, Act of and, the Apostles. I think that yeah, one was just the havoc that happens in, in that episode, and then kind of seeing the the having to escape for your life or trying to you know stop these quote unquote vampires from getting to the mainland. I thought was a a cool and, and clever ending to this. I love that no one really lives. I mean, there are a couple of people that that live through this this endeavor, but spoilers: pretty much the whole cast dies, right? Like there is no <laughs> bleak, bleak, yeah, it's stuff. super bleak. Everybody dies. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I I consider it as an orgy of violence inside of that <laughs> that whole thing. Like you know, I thought the church sequence in the Kingsman was great. But fuck, like when this hits, like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is great exp- because it's messy, right? Yes. It's not like, oh, just a big massacre. There's people who believe there's people who don't believe. Right. There's people who want to leave. There's people who want to stay like, oh, Kate Siegel's Aaron Green. She from the from the episode before, like she knows what's going on with, you know, with Riley immolating himself in the in the sunlight right so right. she goes to annabeth gish's character sarah gunning who's the town doctor and like they start to put together that and something's not quite right and they're the voices of reason they're like the unbelievers in in this church right. when when uh father paul is trying to jonestown all these people by having them <laughs> drink the poison so like all right so i don't know if the logic of these vampire transformations fully track but i'm just gonna be like i'll I'll buy it whatever you know because like what it is is like during communion you get like uh blood blood of christ Christ. and Mm. and he's actually using um i guess the master's blood is that that's what it is right yeah he's he's using the master's blood yep and a little bit of his he uses his sometimes as well um but he uses the master's blood with wine with wine yeah these are the things that are creating the miracles, right? So Lisa Scarborough, yes. which we haven't talked about yet. She's a wheelchair-bound girl in the town. She starts walking again. Riley's dad's back heals. Sarah's mom, played by Alex S.O., like you said, she starts... De-aging. De-aging. The other big twist is that father of Paul Hill is actually Monsignor mm, Pruitt. Monsignor Pruitt. That, wow. <laughs> who, who encountered the master and his religious travels and and he right. he's the first to come back and and uh he brings the master to uh crocodile island right you know that was my only gripe with the show was that mildred was just the only old person on the island that DH'd, was there yeah. well that dh but also like the the fact that oh, Monsignor Pruitt has Monsignor right, Pruitt, right for sure. Like he was there for years, and she's the only one that kind of recognized him in that state. Like we hear that Bev only saw pictures of him because Bev was too young and things like that. But I was just like, Mildred's the only old person on this island. I mean, it sounds like the island's small, but we actually saw how big it was and how many people didn't go to church when the final act of season or of episode seven happens. When that started happening, I was like, damn, this place is actually huge. Like, I thought everyone was at church. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't think there's a huge difference between, like, what you look like at, like, 45 and, like, 70, 75. Right. You know? Like, it I feel like you would right? definitely be able to tell. But you just have to suspend that disbelief. 
Yeah, I, I just threw it out. I was like, you know what, whatever. I'm thinking too hard about it, but yeah, that that's just me. Yeah. I think uh, Annie Flynn, her thing was just sight. And I like how that it started off kind of small where Annie started stopped wearing glasses. And it right, right. was kind of nicer. Like, he, he, he didn't have anger anymore. Like, I guess that was his thing. It was just like he was angry all the time. But he wasn't angry anymore. He was a lot more patient. And I love how it started off small and subtle. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, Lisa could walk. And I was yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're, we're definitely getting there. A little tangent, like just talking about Lisa for a while. That scene with Lisa and Joe. Oh, my God. Um, oh, Where yeah. she forgives him in the trailer. That Jesus Christ. wrecks me. That was yeah. so good. Oh, my God. Joe was great. Like I, 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 Joe I, he yeah. was awesome. Like Robert Longstreet is yeah. really good. <laughs> like I, I definitely want to see him a lot more. I love him as the person who definitely needs the most help. <laughs> yeah. Like I, like I love his character as Joe Collie and how apologetic he was, but he didn't mm-hmm. know how to be apologetic. Yeah. Question for for both of you. Uh huh. After me watching this a few times. What was the main reason behind, gosh, what's her name? Bev poisoning Father Paul. Did he ask her to do that? I'm not sure. Because, because she Father definitely Paul, poisoned him, right? Yeah, because she was the one taking the poison from the school. And she poisoned the dog. And she had to poison Father Paul because he died. But I, yeah. I don't, I've never truly understood why she did that if she didn't know yet. I mean, he must have told her to do that, or he must have poisoned himself because he right. knows it that's how you been. complete the transformation, right? So that's my question. Like, that's how you complete the transformation into a full-fledged vampire, right? Right. Like, you got blood. Die. You ingest the blood, and it heals you of your like ailments or or whatever. Right. But to become like an actual vampire, you have to die after die. having ingested this blood. That makes right? sense. I think I think that's what that. I mean, that's what it is in most vampire lore, right? Right. Yeah. It, it, that that makes sense to me. I I just never understood. I was just like, did he take that or did she give him that? Like, did she poison him? And like, I was like the whole time in that moment, it didn't take me out. It just had me speculate a lot. Where it's just like, uh-huh. why would she do that? Like, I don't understand because if she's a devout Catholic, she can't become priest because women can't in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So I didn't understand. I was like, was she trying to take him out so she could be the bishop of the town? Like, I, I, don't, I don't get what she, what she was know. trying to do here. But hey, whatever. I think I looked too close into it that I think you're right, Jeff. I think it was just he took it. Like, he just told her, hey, get the poison. We're going to poison this guy's dog. And from there on out, I'm just going to take it. Because I think yeah. that was the main plan. It's just, let's poison the dog. Because obviously all the cats and stuff. Oh my god, what a way to end episode one. All the cats and shit wash ashore. And my wife, she also has the question of why why the animals? Like why take care of the animals? Another thing based off of vampiric lore, animals seek out vampires. It, it just I don't know They're why. Like aware just, of them. Or right. Yeah. They're like mm-hmm. aware of their presence and I, I that's like one of the main things. It's just like take out the animals, because that also happened in thirty days of night where they took out all the animals. That's true. That's as true. Well. Okay. So, yeah. So I, I think that's one of the main things, but hey, I don't know. Yeah. Um. So 
trigger warning for people who aren't really looking forward to like animal deaths. There are a lot oh, of yes, animal deaths. My bad. Like, this, <laughs> yeah. this, this, this dog death is particularly oh my god it's so heartbreaking (laughs) oh my god it's so heartbreaking the the first one's just like what's happening and that that dog death is just like oh no yeah (laughs) oh no but shout out to bev being an awesome familiar for father paul like she Mm -hmm. was down for the cause like she did not yeah like bat an eye and i was just like that's a familiar right there like (laughs) like she is like, yup, nope, I know my time is gonna come soon. Let me do all the day shit. I got this. You go ahead, sit back and shit. do you <laughs> in the daytime. Do what you gotta do, Father Paul. I got the day shit. Let's get it started. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that reversal in the last episode, like going back to the last episode where yeah. Bev is the one who's just in control, overzealous, and right. she's like, oh, we're committing to this vampiric existence now. And then Father Paul, like, he realizes the mistake he's made. Like, this is not what he right. wanted, right? And Bev Keen, like, she ascends to, like, the the actual villain role of this this show. Right. But it's also interesting that she's the character that, that hides, right? Like, she wasn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she wasn't uh, ready to fill it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was, I was curious by that as well. I was just thinking, like, where are you going to go? Like, you, yeah. you see it's absolute chaos, and I... Th- I wonder if she hid. Actually, no, I don't understand why she hid because she had the blood. So, but it it was so, for me, one of the most heartbreaking things in episode seven was the guy who turned into a vampire and ate his whole family. Yes. And then she goes up to him. She's like, yeah, you could have technically brought them back. (laughs) Yeah. But you were just, you weren't of the faith. So we didn't. That's right. Yeah. You just didn't have faith. And you don't have a place in the church where we're all going to (laughs) survive. Right. 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 She kicks him out, too. She's like, you're not like of the faith. You did not believe. So you're going to burn in the sun. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Oh, that was brutal. I thought the the plan was really bad to like burn all the buildings. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, in the end. What they want to they do is no like place they, to go. <laughs> they they want to burn all the buildings, uh, so the humans have nowhere to hide. But right. in the end, the humans they gather together and burn the last sanctuary that the vampires have. So like right. when the sun comes up, everyone fucking dies, right? Exactly. I read it as she wanted to burn all the buildings because she wanted everyone to come to the church. So that she could decide. That's true who too, because they could That's who true. lives and who dies and who would right. get fed on, right? And then yeah. they would have food. That's true mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes yeah. sense because it it sounds like at that point in time she knew that Pruitt was no longer down with the cause, and she called him a false prophet. I think. Mm-hmm. And when he wasn't down with the cause, she's like, "All right, I'm stepping in. I'm the one who's going to lead us to this next life, mm-hmm. pretty much." Right. But it was interesting. I love how Aaron used herself as like, all right, I'm I'm going to kill this thing. Like I'm I'm uh-huh. going to be the the one to take this thing out. As he fed on her, when she just ripped the wings and she just kept cutting through the wings, and I love that. And you could yeah. see how much of a lust for blood that it has. Yeah, because Where it doesn't even like, feel that right. his wings are being clipped. Yeah. Or he does, but he doesn't care, right? Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the moment earlier when Lisa was like shooting him, 
and he's just like, "Go away! I'm just I'm trying to eat right now. Yeah, I'm now. trying to eat. Like, yeah, like leave me alone. Like this does nothing to me." That goes to your point about the addiction, right? Like, it's so powerful that that's all these things care about is is blood versus you know survival. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, it's so fascinating. And when when she's bleeding out, it replays the monologue about like. Mm-hmm. Her, her conversation with Riley about like what happens That's right. after you die, right? And I, I thought that was just super powerful. Oh, by the way, Erin loses her baby because she drinks the vampire blood. So That's right. Another yeah. fucking thing of trauma in this yeah. show. Oh my god. Yeah, that was in very the good. deep, dark hole that the show puts its characters in. <laughs> I think that's the one that definitely got me for sure, because I was just like, oh my god, if that was my daughter. Like, oh my you're, god. You're a relatively new dad, right? I am, yeah. So my yeah, daughter is same, 13 same months. Yeah. So, oh, I didn't know that actually. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, that's the one that got me where I was just like, oh, shit. My wife, like, I wasn't bawling. I was just like, tears were forming. And I felt yeah. those tears. And my wife, I look over, my wife is bawling. And I'm just like, <laughs> yep, she understands we're on the same page. That totally could, like, <laughs> and, I think it was the explanation as to why when she finds out the blood was yeah. this cause and how they said it, where it's like the body feels that it's more of a parasitic type of thing and things like yeah. that. And I, I think that explanation was just like, oof, like super crushing for, for my wife for sure. Yeah. But it, it, it's true. Like, I mean, it, it's it's that whole thing right there when... She lost the baby, and we saw the blood kind of explode. <laughs> yeah. That's when I knew. I was like, oh, shit, they were drinking the blood all along in communion. Mm-hmm. And like that made it to where it's just like, they've been drinking this blood since he's gotten back. Yeah. And like, it's just, oh, my God, that's nuts. And that was a good mystery, too, with like what happened was. to the baby, because like, that's not like really something you would think about with vampires. No. Like, it didn't hit me until... Dr. Gunning was, like, explaining it, right? Yeah. I thought that was a good little rug pull there. Oh, man. But, yeah. I really hope Flanagan never leaves horror. Like, mm. I just want him to do horror all the time. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I get it. Like, you know, I want him to do that. But I get it. The, you know, creative differences and, and you know, you kind of want something else. And I, I can understand that. But the fact that he's made this wave to where he's able to have so many different concepts with horror and for us to analyze horror in such an interesting way to where we think of it as like, okay, he can do the ghost stuff and the jump scares and the pound for pound and and go for that. Or he can do something like this, where this is pretty much 80% drama and 20% horror. Like it's like the the horror hits way later. (laughs) So like it's, it's really cool to kind of see him uh, be able to express like his other differences of of himself creatively. And now he's working on a slasher again, which is awesome, which is funny because it's called The Midnight Club, which is Christopher Pike's uh-huh. uh, story. But uh-huh. it's going to be incredible to even see him come back to a slasher because I think he's actually really good at it with Hush. But it's interesting. It's very interesting to just see him kind of be, in my opinion, one of a modern horror master and i don't know why even though we we have love for flanagan and 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 flanagan we trust especially when it comes to his shows but yet we don't put his name next to folks like astor and peel and eggers 
That's the three. That's a trinity when we think of modern horror directors, which is funny because they've only made two movies. All yeah. of them. <laughs> and yet this man, Flanagan, has made, I think, 11? Yeah, or something a, like that? It's a way better batting average, right? Right. <laughs> He's got so more like, under his belt. Yeah, so his name deserves to be there, in my opinion. But yet, for some reason, like I feel like if you were to talk to a, a film buff of some kind, they'll know who Flanagan they'll is. They'll name but... those before Flanagan. Exactly. Which, yeah, they will name I, Astor I, I and Peel yeah. and Eggers before Flanagan, which is unfortunate. So I put some respect on my man's name. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's just speaking to something that you said, Prince, I think that... I love this show so much, not for the horror at all, really. Yeah. I come to the show really loving the talk about faith versus not being a person of faith, right? Or the right. the kind of the religious zealot that you kind of get with some of the characters and like... It's like the whole spectrum. I, that's all the stuff that really fascinates me. And like, I do appreciate the horror elements of this, but at the same time, that's not the thing that really got me to sign on to this and really, you know, end up loving this show. Yeah, definitely. And Derek, you were talking about like how bleak the ending is with everyone dying, but like there's also like rays of hope there too, right? Because it's the people are like accepting their fates, and like um, the two people who do get away are Lisa and uh, Riley's brother. Uh, what's his yeah. name? Mm-hmm. I don't remember his name, but and the only one who doesn't really accept their fate is Bev Keen, right? Yeah, because yeah. she's standing on the beach and she's still like trying to she's claw trying. her way to like. Into the sand. sand. (laughs) Yeah, she wasn't giving up. (laughs) Everybody who accepts the fate that's going to happen to them when when sun rises, I mean, it's beautiful, right? The scene where the sheriff and and Ali are just like praying, uh, Uh and and then all the people that are just singing until the end. And that was a great, great cut right where they're just singing crescendoing and then all of a sudden it just it cuts it's it cuts. Stops. so yeah. good it's so good so good. It's so good yeah oh my god and and even like paul and mildred at the mm-hmm. at the, the bridge. little bridge yeah. with sarah oh my god like the whole thing of like and, and that was another thing too where my wife got it immediately she was just like that's her dad like in like episode three uh-huh. I was like, what? Like, what? Yeah. nah, yeah. Like, oh, nah, no way. Like, I don't think you're right on that. And yeah, yeah, she yeah. was totally right. I was like, holy shit. She's like, I told you. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, no, you did. Um, well, yeah, I had a feeling when they, like someone said, oh, I heard a rumor once that he wasn't celibate. That Yeah, like, I, I didn't put two and two together. Like, yeah, I, just, I didn't put like, that together either. It was my wife who pointed that out too. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, I was just like, I, I that totally didn't cross my mind. I was so in enthralled and wrapped into everyone's monologues about death and religion that like that to me just went right over my head like i (laughs) i didn't catch it and at the end and like i even said like holy shit he's he's her dad my wife's like i told you that like that was no surprise (laughs) (laughs) you all right sorry well because there's also the scene at the picnic where she's like he stares at me like father pruitt used to stare at me oh Uh, that's right that's right i was like good point good point i get it i see where this is going yeah 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 oh man yeah okay well yeah i i didn't catch that for sure but mm-hmm. now that you mentioned that like yeah that oh yeah that makes total point, sense because when i first saw that scene i was like oh he's staring he's because judging she's, her she's she's, she's, a, she's lesbian. a lesbian yeah. she's mm-hmm. gay right but he's not doing that at all he's staring no. at her because she's 
his daughter, his daughter. right? Right. Yeah, yeah. His yeah. daughter that he'll never have a knowing love with. Like right. it's just it's a, it's an unknown love for for her, and that wow, that just makes that even. God damn it, this show. <laughs> <laughs> Good call, Derek. I forgot about that. Great call, Derek. There's, wow. there's tons of layers to the show, and like I yeah, think it does yeah. warrant a rewatch. Now that you know, like the twist, you know, like what you're looking yeah. for. Yeah, it's it's all there. Absolutely. And that soundtrack, the score to this is, oh, is man. fantastic, too. The like, Newton brothers are just amazing. Yeah. Oh, is it the Newton brothers? It is. I okay. believe so. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, they, they usually work with him quite often, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the Newton brothers. It is. Okay. I have it uh, up on IMDb. It is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, with like the hymnals and all that. I, I, I think oh, it's just beautiful. It's so God. good. So good. It's so good. Like I, I'm very excited to see what he does next because it's just like, like for me, every time he does something, I'm just like, how are you gonna top this? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like how are you gonna top this? Like, there's no way you're gonna top this. Like, when he came out with Hill House, I was like, there's no way you're going to top this. Like, Hill House was so good, and yeah. then boom, Bly Manor came out, and I would say Bly Manor and Hill House are oranges to apples. Like, they are 100 not the same at all but yet that's where you really got to see him focus a lot more on the drama aspect than the horror and it's just oh man absolutely phenomenal but then again he does it again with midnight mass i'm excited to see what's going to happen with the midnight club yeah i'm a hundred percent excited to see what he does next and i think this one midnight mass it, it lands the ending better than i mean i mentioned this before than hill house and Bly Manor, yes. I think. Yes. I think mm-hmm. it just feels way more cohesive and, and complete. And that makes sense, right? It's like his personal project. He's been working on this for 10 years, uh, maybe even longer, gestating in his mind. It just feels so personal, and I uh, can't be beat. I mean, I don't know yet. Maybe maybe his next thing will be even better, but this this just felt singular in, uh, in Mike Flanagan's uh, filmography, so... I feel like the only detriment to me is that I feel like I've maybe watched his best work already. His best you know I mean? work? It's like, it's, <laughs> everything else is different, though. That's the thing, yeah. It's honestly, his work is non-comparable to all of the rest of his work. It's just, yeah. they're, they're all their own thing. Like, Oculus is different in so many different ways. Hush, Before I Wake, Gerald's Game. Like, all of them are just so, they just have so much gravitas in the way uh-huh. that they rework the world that it never feels like the same world. And that's great. Like, you, you know, we, we see something like John Carpenter, you see the thing and then Halloween and so on and so forth. And you can tell these are all different worlds. And he kind of has that same concept where you see Jordan Peele, for example, use Jordan Peele again, where you see Get Out and Us, those kind of feel like the same world. Those feel like that's happening consecutively with each other. And even same thing with Aster, Hereditary and Midsummer. That feels like that's happening in the same world. Mm-hmm. But yet this, like all his work, j- just universally feels different. I guess they don't have a universe. Like the, it's just at each one, he creates a brand new world for them. And it mm-hmm. feels so it feels like you can watch his stuff, even though it feels like you are watching his best work. <laughs> but like you, you will get something out of it for sure. Like I definitely, I definitely think you would. 
Okay. So Derek is a Mike Flanagan neophyte, and like, mm-hmm. what would you recommend that he watch after this? Like, uh, to get a different flavor, I guess. What would you say, <laughs> Prince? Well, Doctor Sleep. If you watch Doctor Sleep, you will get an instance of how he was thinking of vampirism, mm. because it is it is very apparent in that movie that he went into it with the concept of the true not being vampires. But if you're looking for something that kind of starts you off in, I guess in a, in a direction of where Flanagan's work just kind of prospers, I would say Bly Manor mainly because like you, like you said with like the dialogue and things like that, that's where you feel like you really kind of got the sense of being able to find this enjoyable. I think you would have mm-hmm. the same idea with, um, uh, Bly Manor as well, because when Bly Manor came out, and when I watched that last year for the press screening as well, I said that fans of Hill House, like devoted fans of Hill House, are probably not going to like Bly Manor because it is not Hill House. <laughs> like you're, right. you're not going to get those scares like that. You're not going to get in your face scares either, but you are going to get these magnificent stories. And the thing that makes Bly Manor, and the only reason why I'm putting an asterisk on Bly Manor is because each episode is directed by someone else. Mike Flanagan only directed one episode. He's just Mm. a showrunner. And that was the first time he's done that, first and only time so far, because he didn't do it again for uh, Midnight Mass, because this was his baby. He was like, ah. Yeah. Uh, But he's doing it again for the Midnight Club, where he's going to have separate directors, um, I believe. But with Bly Manor, he does have separate directors, um, which it's good. And you still see Mike Flanagan's vision. But at the same time, that might also feel different from the rest of his stuff because there are other people's visions on top of that. Yeah. Honestly, I would say probably Dr. Sleep or maybe even Gerald's Game. I would yeah. I would also say Gerald's Game. That's an interesting one where... I, and I'm not too sure if you're familiar with Gerald's game at all, Derek. Uh, I know the premise. Premise? Okay. I don't know what happens. Like, I, I've sure. never seen it. Yeah, but I know the premise. Awesome. Because, like, the whole thing is, in on paper, it sounds like this shouldn't work as a movie. <laughs> but lady whose husband dies in front of her as she's chained to a bed and she's trying to escape. That sounds like that shouldn't work as a movie. Yet he made that so intense and... I think that's something that really shows how he is able to tell a story from a singular perspective. I would say go from there because you saw how he could tell a story in multiple perspectives. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But in a singular perspective, I think that's where it really truly shines for him. Cool. I'll try to check out some of the series and some of the movies that he's done. Yeah. Not for people who don't like mangled hands. (laughs) That's fair. That is fair. Yeah. If you you ain't a fan of mangled hands, then (laughs) either stay away from Stephen King's work or stay away from Mike Flanagan's adaptions of Stephen King. A lot of that stuff. (laughs) I would even recommend Hush. Hush is like such a different animal too, right? Yeah. uh, It's like a slasher, ingenious premise. 80 minutes, 81 minutes. Yeah, short and sweet. Cool. Yeah, I definitely would also recommend, honestly, his whole filmography. <laughs> like, good. I'm not even it's kidding. Like, I, like, I, I don't want to be that guy, but like, any one of his things are great starters to what he's done before. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter if you started in the middle. And honestly, I'm a unicorn when it comes to it. I'm the only person I know 
which is weird that I know myself like that, but I'm the only person I know who's literally started with Flanagan from the beginning of his filmography. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't know anybody else who started from Absentia and worked their way from each movie he's done after that to a show. But mm-hmm. I'm looking for them. <laughs> I come close because I started with Oculus. Ah, yeah, um, you're close. See, that's that's close. right after. Right after I Absentia. Absentia after Oculus, but you are close. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Oculus was huge because that was like his big break. Like that's when yeah. his like name was on people's radar because he made a theatrical release. Um yeah, when, yeah. when Absentia was got seventy thousand dollar budget. Like yeah. yeah, so it was nice yeah. to see him be able to do something with some money, but if you really want to see him do something with some money, Doctor Sleep is where it's at. Cause like I think it's a $35 million budget on that one. And yeah, he stretches the fuck out of that dollar. <laughs> yeah. Just the recreations of the Overlook. Oh, my God. So oh, mad. my God. He's a madman. <laughs> He's a madman. Uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up about? Yeah. Anything else you want to bring up, Prince, about Midnight Mass? Mike Flanagan? Not much. Just watch Midnight Mass watch if it, you yeah. haven't and you stayed through the whole conversation of us gloating about this show yeah watch it watch it with the perspective that um is your own definitely don't take our opinion completely into consideration watch this show for your eyes and your eyes only don't watch it with our conception of this being that good yeah because it, you never know it might not be for you or we might you know be overselling it for you in some ways but at the same time we might be right on for you. So go with your own concept of what you are going to experience. And also, Jeff and Derek, thank you both for having me on the show. This was so much fun. Yeah, I was very you. excited when you asked me to come on this show, Jeff. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's a pleasure to have you on our very first guest. I'm that so excited. That blows my mind. <laughs> You're 97 episodes in and I'm your first guest. You know what? Uh, wrangling guests is a lot of work, I think. <laughs> it's uh, hard. It just is like, hard. You're going to be our lie. first and only guest. No, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is like, I'm done. No. <laughs> just getting like everyone's schedules together and then like. Yeah. It's hard when you're dealing with different time zones as well. Yeah. 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 That makes it um, tough but I'm trying to ease my way into it. Because we've had such a great rapport, like, the three of us before, so I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But, like, I do find the need to, like, get more voices on the pod, you know, just mm-hmm, because, like, fair. there are things I want with, like, a female perspective or, like, something. Yeah. Like, it's just good to have those different perspectives, you know. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. This was yeah, a, yeah. Lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blast, and I'm glad it was for this. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But uh, Prince, why don't you let people know uh, where can people find you? Where can people find your show? Shout out your show again, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at the Head Knight. That's Knight with a K. Um, you can also hear my voice as well on Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. That's also Knight with a K on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Yeah, that's pretty much where you can find and hear me. And uh, what about you, Jeff? Yeah, you can find me and my writing at strangeharbors.com. And you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at strangeharbors. Uh, what about you, Derek? First, I was just going to say, I mean, take it from a guy who, again, not the biggest horror fan, but also not the biggest taker of religious things. Um, I, I think <laughs> the show wasn't made for me, but yet it ended up being one of my favorite things I think I've seen this year. So 
Uh, not to yeah. not to blow this up any further, but um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but you can find me on Instagram. I have two accounts. Um, first is World's Okayest Photos. We can kind of find my photography that I'm getting into, and then um, Screen Agents Guild. So both on Instagram. If you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is uh, to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and give us a great star rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to more people. Yeah. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions about Midnight Mass, you can shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. If you have any questions for our venerable guest, Prince Jackson, feel free to shoot us a line about that as well. We uh, like to read out the questions on our pod and feel free to shoot us a line. So with that, we will see you guys next week. And thank you so much, Prince, for coming on. Um, it was fantastic. We, we love that. Thank you all you. so much for having me. Thank, Thank you, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. See you guys next yeah. week. See you guys next week.